The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org. Man, what an amazing time of worship this morning. I mean, I hope, man, if the spirit didn't move in you this morning, man, that was some awesome singing this morning. That was amazing. Hey, you got your Bibles? Turn to the book of Matthew. Excuse me, I lied. Luke. Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Hey, listen, before we jump in this morning, I am so excited about the things that are going on at our church right now. Like we have so many ways for you to get connected in a smaller community of believers that it's not even funny. It's so awesome what God's doing and how God is preparing and providing that chance for us to get closer to one another. Like Monday nights, tomorrow night is a ladies' Bible study, uh, the Beth Moore study called Entrusted. It's right here at the church. Um, if you're like, hey, well, I'm, I'm not a lady. or that's not, There's a free karate class offered tomorrow. Adam Cunningham and his dad give free karate lessons to anybody who wants to come. And listen, they wrap it around God and the Bible. They challenge people to come. That's for all ages. And it's an amazing chance to come and, man, get stronger physically, learn how to beat people up um, in God's name, obviously. Um, but, man, it's, it's free. And so, man, you can, ladies, you can drop off your kids. You can go to, and guys, you can go to karate. I mean, there's something for everybody. And then Tuesday night is a free Zumba class for all the ladies. Madeline Barton hosts this uh, a Zumba class uh, for free. It's an amazing chance to maybe you want to get in shape. Maybe you just want to make some friends and hang out with people. And then they're starting a Bible study this Tuesday uh, called Discerning the Voice of God by Priscilla Shire. And so, and then Tuesday mornings uh, for the men in our church, we have a prayer time where we meet together at 6.30 in the morning. And uh, I know it's early, but we got coffee and donuts. And we just pray for our church. We pray for one another. Um, and we just share community together with one another. And uh, man, so if you're not involved somewhere, it's on you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and in a couple weeks, we're going to have our sign-up list for our small groups. We call them grow groups here. And those are going to start in March that you can jump in and be challenged, be encouraged, be, uh, man, just learn in that smaller environment. So there's all kinds of ways to get involved. And what I'm really even more excited about, even, even all that, which all that's amazing, is starting in March, same time, we're going to have a kids program start on Wednesday night. Uh, we have some awesome volunteers, uh, uh, Bethany and Spencer um, and Ashton and Evan and Reese are going to head up a children's program on Wednesday night just to saturate our kids with the Word of God and challenge them and have some fun time for them. And then at the same time, Ben and the youth are going to be starting their Wednesday night program. And uh, so, hey, your kids are going to be here. Your teenagers are going to be here. So we're going to have something. We're going to do a marriage series on Wednesday night that I'm going to lead. And we're just going to, hey, everybody can work on their marriage. Right? Everybody can work on their relationships. And it's not going to be a formal Wednesday night type thing. It's going to be, hey, we're just going to come together and encourage one another in our marriages and learn. Then we'll do uh, a series on parenting. We'll do a series on money. We'll do, um, uh, we'll split up. We'll do a guy series and, and, and lady series. But, man, there's something for everybody at our church. And we're not about programming. We're about just coming together and changing eternities and changing lives. And in your seat, to go along with that, you'll find that card that says, are you in? This is, this is the series, like if this is your first time here, you've jumped right in the middle of our series and we're asking this question, are you in? Uh, because if you've been here over the last few months, uh, God has been doing something crazy awesome in our church. We're growing, the momentum is pushing, lives are being changed, decisions are being made. And it's, it's just, it's indescribable about what, God's gonna, what God is doing. And we firmly believe here that God's not done and he's gonna do something even more crazy this year. And so we're asking a question in this series of are you in? Are you gonna be a part of that? And on the back of that card, look, I don't want you to do anything with that card yet. 
I just want you to take that home this week and pray over it. Don't turn it in today. Don't fill it out. Just put it in your Bible. Take it home. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it because I want you praying about that. Where does God want me to be this year with my treasure? Where does God want me to be this year with my talents? Where does God want me to be this year with my time? Are you in? Are you involved in that? And, and that's where we're headed because we have a vision for a lot of people to begin this journey of generosity, to begin this journey of being in and involved in what God is doing. And maybe for some of us, this is your first time ever making a commitment like this. Like you've been to church for a long time and maybe you never said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna stop and think about what God wants for my money and for my talent and for my time. And maybe this is the first time. And I wanna challenge you. Look, here's the deal. Like you can't outgive God, all right? We take this shovel in our lives and if we shovel towards God, God will shovel back towards us. And guess what? God has a bigger shovel, okay? But it's not one of these things like, okay, I'm gonna, I, again, it's not one of these, I'm gonna give $50 on the offering plate this weekend. God's gonna give me $100 back. That's not, that's not how that works. God's shovel is not always full of money, all right? But it's full of blessings. And it's full of a heart that follows after him. But look, you, you cannot outgive him. But it's not about giving something to expect a bigger return. That, that would make you God. But maybe you've heard some stories. Maybe you've heard the stories of somebody who, man, they just really decide they want to get faithful with the treasure that God has given them. And they started being faithful in their giving. And maybe they did get a promotion at work. Maybe they did get a raise. Maybe it seemed like the, their money started stretching longer throughout the month. And maybe sometimes God does change the circumstances. And he does. And he can. And we've all heard those stories. But sometimes God doesn't change the circumstances. Sometimes we start getting faithful with our giving and God doesn't give us a raise at work. We don't get a promotion. Money's still just as tight as it's always been. But what God does change is the way we look at our money. And church, that's just as awesome as God changing the circumstances. When we start realizing that everything I have, every good and perfect gift is not from me, it's only from God, and we recognize that God is the one who gives it all and doesn't belong to me anyway. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 where Jesus said, don't store up treasures on this earth, but instead lay up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now, I don't, I don't carry a wallet. I just carry some loose cards and, 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 and sometimes cash if I have it in my pocket. Don't ask me why. I'm just, I'm not right that way in the head. But here's the deal. Here's the principle. We know is our money, our treasure is connected with our heart. Okay? It's chained to our heart. So wherever I invest, wherever I give, if I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spend money over here, my heart's there. When I'm going I'm to invest, I'm going to give money over here, then my heart's there. So wherever we decide to give, wherever we decide to spend our money, wherever we decide that our treasure goes, our heart naturally follows because the Bible says there's this connection here. And some of us, now get this, some of us, we feel like, God, you feel so far away from me. Like, I don't feel connected to you at all. But if we took a snapshot of our life, what we would see is all of our spending is horizontal. Wherever we can swipe this credit card over here, wherever we can spend money over here. Well, some of it's even good. Well, here's my retirement over here. Here's my car and my house over here. But we wonder why, if we're never giving this way, if we never invest in the things of God, we start wondering, God, why do you feel so disconnected from me? Why do I feel like you're far away? It's because, listen, our, our heart is connected with our treasure. So if I put my treasure over here, that's where my heart is going to go. My heart follows I don't know how many of you follow the stock market, 
Some of you who invest in the stock market, you follow it pretty closely. There's the most expensive stock out there right now. It's called Seaboard Corporation. It has to do with food service industry. And it, to buy one share of this stock is $3,800 a share. Now, if you would have bought that stock when it was $10 a share, you're living pretty good, right? Like, that's pretty exciting. Um, you have Amazon. Amazon is at $1,600 a share. Apple's at $166 a share. Um, Netflix is at $340 a share. Most of us wouldn't know any of that unless you invest in some of those companies, then you know, don't you? And you're watching it every week, right? Oh, man, Apple, come on, get it together, right? Or Walmart, you're watching Walmart, like, come on, Sam Walton, pull your company together. Like, we watch it if we're invested in it. And you don't have to train your heart to get excited about what the stock market does if you're invested in it, do you? It naturally follows that, doesn't it? Your stocks start going up. You don't have to tell your heart to get excited, do you? No, you're always like, yes. And if it starts going down, you don't have to tell your heart to worry, do you? Because it, it naturally goes there. Why? Because our heart is connected to our treasure. God knew what he was talking about when he came up with this principle, like scriptural principle of wherever you put your treasure, your heart goes. And that's why last week we talked about there's only one shortcut to growing spiritually with God. It says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you want a shortcut to getting closer to God? Invest your treasure in the things of God. And here's what God does. When we invest our, thing, our heart and we invest our treasure in the things of God, what God does is he breaks that chain. And now this no longer controls me. Because I've given this to God. Does that make sense? This no longer has a key to my heart because now my heart is totally, completely given over to God. Like my treasure is his. My time is his. My talent is his. And so what used to control me, now I'm broken free from. And some of you, if you were to get a metaphor of your life, a picture of what it was like, this is what it would look like. This chain that keeps you tied up and it makes you a prisoner. God says, but if you put your treasure in heaven, you invest in the things of me, God says, I break that chain. And it doesn't control you anymore. The only shortcut to spiritual growth is putting our heart where God is at and nothing else matters but him. Our culture is saturated with money, isn't it? Like if you have kids, there's never enough money, is there? Right? The clothes don't last. The shoes don't last. If you have three boys like we do, the food doesn't last. Like we can buy a, chi- like a, a bag of Chips Ahoy cookies and each one of them eats three. That bag is half gone and they don't eat just three, right? You know what I'm saying? Like if you raise kids, nothing seems to last. It seems like it comes in and it goes right back out. Like we just, our cars take money. We have to keep putting that stuff in there called gas to make it run every week, right? We even have temples of money. We call them banks. We worship at the altar of the ATM. I say, I say we worship because you put your card in there, what are you doing? You're praying, please, God, let there be money in there, right? Please, dear Lord, right? We go swiping at the cash register. Oh, man, I hope it doesn't get declined. Like that little, do you want to know your balance? No, I don't want to know my balance. <laughs> I don't want to know. You push it, okay, I better push it. Like $13.72, got to last a week and a half, <laughs> Right? Money's everywhere. The bank, even the banks want money. They charge fees to get more money out of you on your money. They charge money to use the bank account. They charge money for check cashing fees. They charge money for uh, interest. They, just everybody wants money, and they do everything they can to get more money. And you and I fall in the same place. We should have money on our mind. 
You probably never heard somebody tell you that, especially preached that you should have money on your mind, but you should, and here's why. We should have money on our minds so we are thinking through how we're going to manage the money that God gave us. Dave Ramsey said we should have a plan for every dollar that we get. We should, all, we should tell it where to go. We should think through our money. We should have money on our mind. We should also have money in our hand. We should have money in our mind. We should have money in our hands so we're always willing and ready to invest at a moment's notice in the things of God or in somebody else. We should have money on our mind. We should have money in our hand. But church, get this. We should never, ever have money in our heart. We should never have money on our heart. And so our prayer should be, God, search me and make sure like, that where my heart is going to be, that my treasure is bigger than my money. For some of us, our treasure is only as big as this little card. And our prayer should be, God, search my heart. I want to make sure that my treasure is bigger than the dollar bills I have in my pocket. My treasure is bigger than my retirement plan. My treasure is bigger than my car. My treasure is bigger than my house. That my whole treasure doesn't wrap, isn't wrapped up in cash flow. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. If you don't have, I hope the words are on the screen this morning. But if not, you can follow along. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is walking around. And he's talking, and, and we get to this thing in verse 13 where somebody poses a question to Jesus. Actually, he asked Jesus to do something for him. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. All right? So here, here's the idea. Like, you're like, okay, what's this thing about inheritance and why does the brother want to die? Here's the deal. In that culture, when the dad died, the oldest son would get the biggest share of the inheritance. Then whoever was left in the family had to split whatever was left. So this is probably a younger son who doesn't think it's fair that his older brother got the lion's share of the inheritance. And so he goes up to Jesus, who's going around healing people and all this cool stuff. Like, hey, gee, like, you got some authority here? Um, make my brother give me more of his money, okay? Like it's not fair that he got the biggest share of this inheritance. And look what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus says, friend, who appointed me a judge and arbitrator over you? He told them. In other words, Jesus says, like, that's not, my, that's not my role. Then he tells them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus looks at this young man and he says, listen, son, <laughs> you need to guard against that greed that's in your heart right now. And then he tells him, he says, your life is not defined by how much stuff you have. The abundance of your life is not wrapped up in your possessions. And I love what Jesus did. Look at, look at verse 16. Jesus tells a story like he always does. He says, then he told them a parable, which is a story. And he says, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? In other words, his, his land produced so much wheat and corn and crops that he didn't have, like, he didn't know what to do with it. He said, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Verse 18, he said, I will do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Now, last week we talked about this principle of not increasing our standard of living, but increasing our standard of giving. This guy has so much. And we see later on, he has so much, he has enough for years of just surviving. 
And instead of increasing his standard of giving, the very first thing he goes to is, I'm going to increase my standard of living. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build a bigger house. I'm going to build a bigger place to store all my stuff. Look in verse 19. He says, then he said to myself, self, <laughs> you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. The church, get this. It wasn't wrong that he worked really hard and his crops yielded a bunch of, a bunch of, of fruit and harvest. That's awesome. He worked hard for that. What was wrong was that instead of increasing what he could give, instead of thinking, God, I have all this extra margin that you've blessed me with, what would you like for me to do with it? Look at the only conversation he had. Who was it with? Self. Self? I'm going to build some bigger barns. And I've got enough to do to live on for years. And so instead of talking to God and saying, God, this is all yours. It all came from you. What would you have for me to do with it? He said, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do it my way. He increased his standard of living instead of his standard of giving, and he talked to himself instead of to God. Look at the next verse, verse 20. It said, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. In other words, you're going to die tonight. And the things you've prepared, the new barns and the new storage places and the new house, God says, who's it going to belong to now? In other words, you laid up all these treasures on earth. You laid up all this cool, neat stuff, but you can't take it with you. And then look in verse 21. Jesus says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He's referring back to that time where he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But how do we get to that place where our heart is lodged in a heavenly place? How do we get to that place where our, our heart is focused on the life to come in eternity instead of this temporary life that we have now? Here's how we do that. We live a generous life in such a way that we're investing in the things of heaven. So I want to go through this morning three philosophies of money that honestly we all find ourselves in. And in fact, most of us, we bounce back and forth between one of these philosophies and all you're going to find yourself in one of these. All right? And there's just three of them. Here's the first one. The greedy. The greedy. Here's what the greedy says. The greedy says, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Okay? What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. So just like this young guy who went to Jesus and said, I want some of what my brother has, because it's not fair that he has it. It didn't belong to him. It belonged to his brother. But he said, hey, I want that. So the greedy says, what's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. We don't call ourselves greedy. We like to call ourselves opportunistic. Right? <laughs> Not like we talked about last week about being an opportunistic giver. We're talking about we look for ways, opportunities to consume. We look for opportunities to take and to devour. And so you and I, if we're left to ourselves, we will always, always drift towards selfishness all the time. We will drift towards consuming. And we have to make sure that we're not greedy. All right? Now, look, I'm about to say something. I don't want you to think I'm getting political, all right? But I, I'm tired of hearing this phrase that Jesus is a socialist. All right? Jesus is not a socialist. Jesus never advocated forcing some, taking something from someone and forcibly giving it to someone else. That's not found in Scripture. And you want to know a passage that totally blows that out of the water? What we just read. 
The young brother goes to Jesus, make my brother give me some of what's his. And Jesus said what? That's not my role. I'm not here to divide wealth is what Jesus said. What Jesus' role is our heart. So here's the deal. But the, the enticing thing about socialism is the promise that is this, that you are able to consume that which you didn't work for or produce. And so it's very, very enticing and uh, attractive to people. Hey, I can get something I didn't work for. Like you have more than enough. I, I like the idea that they can force you to give that to me. Well, the source of socialism is greed. The source of communism is greed. Jesus is not a socialist. Now, before you start thinking, hey, Jesus is all about capitalism, let me say this. Capitalism, if not rooted in Christ, leads to socialism. Excuse me, leads to selfishness. Capitalism, if not rooted in Christ, will also drift towards selfishness. You know who knew that? Our founding fathers. You know what they said? They said this system of government and this system of economy, you read it. Read what Washington said. George Washington said this. It will not stand if we fail to realize it's the creator who makes it work. You go read some of the early writings of the founders of our country. You will find they said they loved this new system of government they were making. They believed that it was the right way to go, both economy-wise and government-wise. But they all understood that if it wasn't centered in God, if it wasn't centered in the Bible and in a moral standard only found in God, it would collapse in on itself. Don't read the textbooks. Go back and read their early writings. Because capitalism, if it's not rooted in Christ, will also lead to selfishness. And we, you and I have to make sure we're not this guy that went to Jesus. We gotta make sure we're not that guy who says, hey, tell my brother to share, tell these people to give to me. And then they have this argument about who gets what. And not because they wanted to be generous, but because he wanted to be greedy. He wanted it. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. In fact, I'm gonna go to Jesus and make him give it to me. When we invest in us, the problem is that my heart is wrapped around my desires, it's wrapped around my wants, it's wrapped around my greeds. And it's not bad to have things, all right? I'm not saying that. It's not bad to possess things. It's bad for things to have us. It's bad when our things consume and control us. There was an experiment done um, by Milgram back in the 60s. I don't know if you ever heard about this experiment, but basically what Milgram did is he went to Yale and he posed this question to uh, just lots and lots of people. He said, he said, hey, would you be willing for a certain amount of money, and if somebody told you to do it, would you be willing to inflict pain on another human being? Less than 1% of the people said yes, which worries me about the, the one person or so who said, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. But overwhelmingly, everybody said, no, I wouldn't inflict pain on somebody, even if somebody told me to or if I got paid for it. So then they did this study. And they got some volunteers, and they told these volunteers that you're going to be a teacher. And you're going to teach a pairing of words to a student who's also an adult, not a young person, grown up. But you're going to teach these pairing words, and they need to repeat them back to you exactly like you teach it to them. And if they don't, you're going to push this button. And when you push this button, that person's going to get an electric shock. And it's going to start off mild at first, but it's going to gain in intensity the more questions they get wrong. And so what they did is they set up the teacher who was oblivious to what was going on. They couldn't see their student, but they could hear them. And they had like recorded screams and stuff uh, recorded. So they weren't really shocking the person, all right? But they thought they were shocking the other person. You want to know what's scary? 
65% of the participants in this study gave the shock that was strong enough that would have killed the person on the other end, and they knew that that shock would kill them. 65%. You know what's even more scary? 100% of the participants, every single one of them, administered a shock up to the level of at least 300 volts. Every one of the participants also at some point during this study stopped the test and said, hey, is this okay? Like, is this everything all right? And when they were told and encouraged, yeah, it's legit, it's okay, they kept going. But the study was this. It found that the sub, they were uncomfortable doing it, though. And they displayed stress. Like, some of them were sweating. Some of them were trembling. Some of them uh, were stuttering. Some of them were biting their lips as they were struggling to push that button. Some of them actually were groaning. Some of them were digging their fingernails into their skin where they were drawing blood in their own flesh. Some of them were to the point where they were even having nervous breakdowns. But yet they still kept going. And here's the sad part of what they concluded. Here's the, here's the synopsis of their study. Here's what they said. Ordinary people simply doing their jobs without any particular hostility on their part can become agents in a terrible, destructive process. What this study concluded was ordinary people just doing their jobs without really any hostility towards anybody else can become agents of a destructive process. You're like, John, what are you saying? What I'm saying is we obey what controls us. Just like the people in that study, they obey what they were told to do. We obey what controls us. And our heart follows our treasure. And our treasure can become this taskmaster that we obey relentlessly. Even if we obey it reluctantly, we obey it relentlessly. Wherever this tells us to go, we go. Hey, there's a better idea over here. Hey, just put some money over here. Hey, buy this next thing. It will fulfill you. Hey, just get this thing. It will fill that void that you have. Hey, get this thing. It's going to make you happy. Hey, get this thing. Then you can stay up to date with everybody else. And we obey this relentlessly. Even if we're doing it reluctantly. We obey in ways that our money, with our money and our treasure, that we even stress about. We know it's not right, but we go deeper and deeper in debt. Even though we know it's not right. We know it's not right, but we, we become more and more stingy. We know it's not right, but we rob God every week, week in and week out. We know it's not right, but we still obey it because we obey our treasure at all cost. This can become our taskmaster. And we can obey this even to the detriment of ourselves. I actually have a $10 bill this week. I don't have to borrow it from you, Ann. This thing in of itself, it's a neutral thing. It's, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just a tool. It's a tool to be used. It's a tool to be invested in God's work. It's a tool. But sometimes instead of using this tool, this tool starts to use us. God wired us in such a way to live our lives in Christ, to do the work of the kingdom. But over time, we all tend to drift towards selfishness. And the reward system in our culture is this. Get as much money as you can, as fast as you can, repeat the process. Get as much money as you can, as fast as you can, repeat the process. And here's how you know if you struggle with greed. Here's how I know if I struggle with greed. If that little voice in our head says, hey, I'm just one raise or one promotion away from being generous. That's how we know we're struggling with greed. 
I'm just one raise. I'm just one promotion away from being generous. What if you're one generous act away from a promotion or a raise? But what do you think? What if I just, if I just had enough, I'd be more generous? If I just had enough, I'd be more generous. Let me ask you something. Do you own two pairs of shoes? Ben? <laughs> Inside joke, sorry. Do you own a pair of clothes, a set of clothes that you wear just for working outside? Maybe you're so stinking filthy rich in here this morning that when you have change in your hand, you drop it in the cup holder of your car. If you have one of those things, you know what that means? You're in the top 12% of the world's wealthiest people. Top 12%. And so when we say, you know what, if I just don't have enough to be generous, you know what we're saying? Really, generosity only belongs to the top 10% of the wealthiest people. And you know what the top 10% of people say? You know, really, only that top 8% can afford to be generous. Generosity is a lousy leftover game plan. Listen, God never created us as a church to go, you know what, I'll, whatever's left over at the end, that's when I'll be generous. Listen, generosity is a lousy leftover game plan, but it's an amazing and phenomenal principle to build our life on. So the first thing is the greedy. The second thing is the grabber, okay? The grabber. Listen, that's, the grabber says what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. We don't call this sin. We call it being wise, right? I'm going to save it up for another day. Do you know what one of the fastest growing industries in America is today? The storage unit industry. It's over a $10 billion a year industry. Can you believe that? You know what that is? That's, that's me saying, you know what? I've got so much stuff in my house. I've got to pay someone else to watch the stuff that I can't keep in my house. That's crazy. That is definitely a first world problem, right? But when we say, look, I'm just being guarded. I'm not, I'm not, not generous. I'm just being guarded. I can't afford to be generous. Now what we're saying is my security is me. And I'm not saying you shouldn't save. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have possessions. Here's what I'm saying. Don't let our savings and don't let our possessions become a roadblock that keeps us from obeying God. The rich man in this parable that Jesus gave, it wasn't wrong that he had a bunch of stuff. He was blessed with that. It wasn't wrong that he had saved up a bunch of, a bunch of grain and harvest. That wasn't the problem. The problem was those two things came together and they formed a roadblock that kept him from being obedient. Because instead of having that conversation with God, saying, God, what would you have me to do with the extra? He said, I'm going to build more storage places for me. So in our lives, it's not wrong to save. It's not wrong to put away stuff for retirement. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to have stuff. In fact, I hope you have stuff. What's wrong is when those two things come together and they form a barricade to keep us from being obedient to God. The third type of uh, philosophy of money. So we have the greedy, we have the grabber, we have the giver. The giver says this, what's mine is God's and I'm going to invest it. What's mine is God's and I'm going to invest it. And this is something we start as soon as possible. So when you say, God, I want to be generous and I would be generous if I could. Look, I believe you. I believe that everybody who has the heart to be generous says, you know what, I really would be if I felt like I could. The question is, how do you get to the spot then where you feel like you can? 
Like my heart's there, but because of some past money decisions in my life, it, like, it feels like it's been like five years before I can get to the place where I can actually invest. And here's what you do. Start making steps now. Start getting rid of some debt. Start freeing yourself up. And while you're waiting, start giving something, even if it's just a little bit. Begin that journey of reducing debt to begin to put aside some saving, to begin to give something financially. And then maybe in a few years from now, you'll be able to give like never before because instead of raising your standard of living, you raise your standard of giving. When we get to this point, we're not a slave to anyone anymore. This means nothing to me because I don't answer to it anymore. But I'm able to give out of the abundance of my heart. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says that each person should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And when we handle God's money God's way, you start to invest in something that changes people's eternities, something that matters, and you're laying up treasures in heaven. So real quick, I'm going to fly through this. It's going to be faster than you think. I've got some next steps for you. It's all about next steps, right? Number one, remember who the owner really is. Remember who the owner really is. Find ways to remind yourself when you get that paycheck, when you get that money, to say, this isn't for me, this is from God. Remember who the owner really is. Number two, live beneath my means. When I live beneath my means, what I'm saying is, God, I'm content in the station of life you have me in right now. doesn't mean it's always going to be the same, but I'm content where you have me now. Do you realize that the average American spends $1.20 for every dollar we make? We spend $1.20 on every dollar we make, and then we spend 16 to 20% interest to pay back that extra 20 cents per dollar. And what we're saying is, God, look, I, I really don't think your current provisions are good enough, so I've got to stretch myself. Instead of saying, God, you're good and your current provisions are more than enough. And so right now I'm content to live beneath my means. The third step is this. Be thankful for what I have. You ever looked at everything you have and said, God, thank you. Like, I don't deserve this. Thank God for your family. Thank God for your energy, for your abilities. Thank God for your treasure that you do have. Thank God for your church that he made you a part of. It's a principle of gratitude. Look, I'm not responsible for my neighbor's money. I'm not responsible for how they spend their money. I'm only responsible for me. So when God gives me a gift, I want to make sure I can look up to God and say, God, thank you because I realize this isn't for me. It's all yours. The fourth thing and the last thing is this. Focus on what I can give, not on what I can get. Focus on what I can give and not on what I can get. Here's a study they came out with not too long ago. If every church member in the United States tomorrow lost their job, every church member lost their job, and every church member in the United States had to go on welfare tomorrow, but every church member tithed off their welfare check, get this, the church in America, the giving to the church in America would increase by 35% on people just giving off their welfare check. It's not how much money you make. It's what you do with the money that God gives you. And look, that's a crazy statistic, and I get that. It doesn't mean the church is made up of bad people. The church is made up of really good but imperfect people who say, God, I want my treasure to be connected to you, but right now it's connected to my home loan. Right now it's connected to my car. Right now it's connected to my credit cards. So what we do is we just take the steps, say, God, it's yours. Help me to steward and manage this better. Our heart is attached to our money right now instead of letting our money be attached to our heart as our heart follows Christ. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, 
Visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.